please enjoy this episode. Hopefully it's okay with it just being me. This isn't going to be a regular thing. It was a last minute. Cut me some slack. Thank you and enjoy. This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. This is Jacob Bratz with JLB Morelia, and you are listening to the Herpeticulture Podcast. What is up, everybody? This is episode 28 of the Herpeticulture Podcast. I'm Justin Smith. I usually have Jacob here across the table from me. I do not tonight. This is kind of a off-the-cuff episode. I'm pretty excited about it, but I am here with Mr. Mike Clarkson, who does a, How's it going? Does a ton of stuff. You're a man of many talents. <laughs> <clears throat> You're a busy guy. Pimping all yeah, over the world. Yeah, in a lot of different parts. Yeah. <laughs> That's an understatement. <clears throat> <laughs> so uh, what's what's happening, man? How's it out there in uh, California? Oh, it's going well, man. It's uh, uh, it's been well. It's the conclusion, really, of a busy year. I guess my years don't quite fit calendar years. Mm-hmm. So uh, this just past Sunday was the last episode of Dead by Dawn to air in the United States. So it was episode six, the uh, the India episode, mm-hmm. which was probably one of the more challenging things to film. That whole show is challenging, um, but that aired last Sunday, and then I think March 4th, we start getting our international airings, besides Canada. Canada and the U.S. aired at the same time, okay. but it starts launching in Europe, so Debadon domestically is, you know, finishing up, and I think Zilla Beyond the Glass, I think there's two more episodes of that, and then we're looking at planning where to go next for that, so, um, yeah, busy, busy on that side. <laughs> oh, no joke. Um, so yeah, you do work in. I mean, what is what is like your official title? I guess like what it would if someone says, "What do you do for work?" Do you say you're in like production? Do you. Well, it did. It depends how cheeky I'm answering the question, <laughs> but yeah, production, um, <laughs> development, executive producer, because executive producer, depending on what the the show is. Mm-hmm. Um, developer just means I come up with show concepts. Gotcha. Um, I work in the one job where. When you're done with the show, like Dead by Dawn, you're now unemployed. Your, your thank you is you no longer have a job. Oh. Um, so you have to come up with the next one. So that's development is, okay, let's make my next job. Um, and then executive producer and co-executive producer is uh, showrunner. It's uh, the guy in charge of the show, mm-hmm. um, which oftentimes on a small crew means you're also holding a camera. But, right. uh, you know, it, it's a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none kind of gig. Mm-hmm. Uh so yeah, production. The the the, the uh, cheeky answer is just storyteller. I'm an animal storyteller. That's that's you know in different forms in different media, but mostly television. Obviously, Zilla Beyond the Glass, um, the program I did for them, that's online. Yeah. And there's some other online platforms that I'm I'm looking into for this year because that's the way young people are watching their television these days. So definitely need to explore that as well. Yeah, that's it's it's crazy how that how just the platforms and stuff like the traditional media platforms are completely evolving and you know technologies are dying kind of quick from uh yeah what we what we've come to know and love for most of our lives are now you know right here in our pockets and it's uh oh it's it's crazy crazy. man 
it used <clears throat> to be that if you got less than four million people watching your Discovery Channel show, <laughs> like good luck if they air the rest of the series. Like, yeah, that's just a flop, you know. Um, which is an exaggeration, but you know, a couple million was like expected, and you mm-hmm. weren't getting game renewal. And now it's like you don't break a million, and people are like clapping that it was a huge success because there's just not as many people watching TV as they used yeah. to. Um, which I guess in a in a sense it's like oh that's a good thing they're going out and doing other things except not really now it's just like short form mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like people are still watching television type material just in a totally different format than yeah. they used to it's, so, it's the it's, streaming thing man Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime and all that stuff you know it's one of those things if you don't evolve you kind of just die you know you just got to keep up with that that constantly moving you know that that platform is just always going. Well, the cool thing about Netflix is they don't share their numbers, but they do get a better idea of what people are actually watching if they're binging it or just right. like channel surfing. And the age of the people, you know, because regular TV is based on the Nielsen system. It's like every one in that 1,000 people has a box that records what they watch, and their their viewership counts as 1,000 people that are similar to them, and that's how television gauges its ratings. Mm-hmm. Uh, Netflix gets direct feedback and media feedback, and what they've discovered is – young people are watching natural history, which is huge. That's great. Um, so now we've just got to find a way to embrace that and, and draw them in to it as more of like a formal, like they're yeah. into it. Yeah. I think right now they're going through and they go, Oh, well the YouTube story I watch can't pull this off. Like Joe Schmo can't pull off natural right. history. So they stop and watch it. And what's happening is where it used to be reality TV and just anything was on television. People watch it. That easy to make stuff is being replaced really quick by YouTube. Mm-hmm. The stuff anyone can make is getting obsolete really yeah. fast. But your really high-budget shows that look like movies or natural history that take uh, Army to create, that's actually starting to see a little bit of a renaissance, and, and that's, I'm very hopeful for that. Because I think you know, natural history's job isn't to necessarily educate the pub- public, but it is to get people fascinated with nature. Yeah. You know, I always say, like, if you're getting your animal nature knowledge from any documentary really if you get any of your quote-unquote knowledge from a documentary you should probably stop back up pick up a book and read because the purpose of those shows is just to get you fascinated to get you read, right to, to light get you light that fire more. yeah to spark, yeah, we only spark have, the interest you know, an hour right we're not going to teach you anything significant in an hour it's just supposed to light that fire it's supposed to spark that curiosity where mm-hmm. you go oh shoot i never knew about that let me go look more yeah. that that's our goal well, I think the Planet Earth series is really kind of the ones that sort of kick-started that whole thing because, I mean, just the just the cinematography alone on that whole series, just, I think, any even with the, you know, the stuff people don't like, like the snakes and stuff, I even had friends that they were like, did you see that? You know, they, they were raving about it like crazy, and it's just, I think it, it did something that, that people, you know, it wasn't just the the shot of, you know, the lion chasing the wildebeest, you know, a mile and a half out or whatever from a you know with a zoom lens or whatever it was now like hd like in your face you know bright colors crazy detail and i think it kind of Certainly, it, yeah i mean well t- camera people... technology has changed it <clears throat> and, and that's helped a lot mm-hmm. you know camera technology now that we're shooting an 8k we can crop in the 2k and bring you closer than we ever could before yeah um that's huge that that's a world of difference um that's changed also you know what bbc did with planet Earth too is they had a lot of money and a lot of time and, you know, natural histories traditionally don't have that kind of budget. So they were able to pull that off <laughs> for every other program. Yeah. Like the ones I've done. 
you're now trying to figure out how do I do that with not the budget, not the manpower. But like I said, technology's come a long way. Um, and there are I guess, accessibility to the wild places has gotten a little better over the years, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, there's not as many of them, so it's easier to get to. Well, now, like, taking a step back, like, how did you, how did you end up in this line of work to begin with, I guess, is the... Like well, you've, you've obviously had an interest in reptiles for a long time. Like that's not anything new for you. That's something I'm sure you've probably you've you've been into since you were a kid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it depends how far I want to start the story at. But I grew up in the high desert, uh, Hesperia, Apple Valley area of California. It's basically like Arizona. Uh, mm-hmm. Joshua trees, uh, sidewinders in my backyard pretty regularly. Desert tortoises crossing through the front yard occasionally. Uh, the first fence that my yard as kid ever had was to keep the foxes and coyotes from eating my brother and I. Um, <laughs> so a pretty rural area where there wasn't much to do, but yeah. uh, get thorns in your bicycle tires and, and catch lizards. So it definitely started at a young age. Uh, obviously was a reptile keeper also from a pretty young age. My first, uh, what do they call those black belly oil, California king snakes, the, the, the Davis Delta king snakes. Um, from Vince Scheidt for 15 bucks at Reptile Show. Uh, it's been years. as probably six or seven um, ball python from there. And as a kid, I was in, I couldn't have more than 10 snakes at once. Uh, so the second I moved out and actually made any money, that changed, got into breeding reptiles, and then uh, wanted to become a herpetologist, you know, professional herpetologist. Yep. And, and what that is, everyone debates. I, you know, there's no herpetology degree i say if you're professionally contributing to the science that's that's what it is right. um and and that was my goal somewhere in working in reptile breeding and you know field herping as much as possible um i found my way into television on accident uh i well i mean basically i ended up on a tv set after agreeing to do one of these like animal bite shows and mm-hmm. it was uh brian fry called me up and he goes oh you should try this out and sean bush from venom ER is like try this out and then uh, another friend's like oh do it i'm like eh. and in hindsight if i was this age i probably wouldn't have done it but right. at the same time what that provided for me was to be on set and then you know helping them out with the animal stuff mm-hmm. and they called me back to help out again even after my little interview about my stiletto bite and they call me back and they call me back and finally one day i was like look, look guys i enjoy doing this but i have a full-time job i've got a part-time job i've got a side business and i'm going to college so you got to offer me a gig right. and they did. <laughs> and I, I had to take a break from college and I, I again, hit up uh, Brian Fry and I was like, well, should I do this for a little bit? He's like, yeah, you can always pay, you know, for college. They're never going to say no to your money. You might lose some units, but yeah. do it for a bit. <laughs> That's like, okay, true. Cool. <laughs> so it was, it was supposed to be a temporary, let's see how this goes thing. Uh, Speed of Life was a documentary on Discovery Channel and I got my first associate producer gig on that. And I think, Spending nine months filming that was what made it go, hmm, actually, this is a lot of fun. Maybe I want to make a career of it. Right. And I, I don't know if I've ever settled down and decided, like, I'm, you know, making a career of it one day. I just realized it's been, like, ten years, and I guess this is. Um, but I, I jokingly always say my spirit animal, which not that I believe in, like, anything like that. Um, <laughs> if you do, that's fine. But um, would be uh, Hydrophus platyrus or Plamus platyrus is the old name, because – you know, here you got this lethal little drifter that just follows the tides of the ocean, and they can drift from Costa Rica to South Africa. There was a recent study doing models where they go, they actually probably travel the world on a whim 
And that's been my entire MO on everything, reptile career, TV career, anything. I see an opportunity or a current and I jump on it and see where it goes. And, you know, 10 years later now I've got, you know, just finished dead by dawn and the Zilla series and a lot more is in store for this year. So it's not a very good story, but it's a story I got. No, so it's interesting. Go. Cause I mean, that's some, we all like, it's, <laughs> it's always sort of a big mystery of people who are in TV. It's like, and it seems to me from just hearing other people talk about it, it's like one of those things where they never really planned to do it. That just kind of happened. Like you just somehow sort of I will walk say- into it. I know a few people like me, but not many. Um, I'd say the vast majority of the people I work with went to film school, which oh, really? early on when I was at the lower credits was not good for me because mm-hmm. um, I didn't. And anytime I'd you know, be someone's uh, superior and having not had that background, I always felt like, sorry, I just kind of worked and got here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it is a mix. You do have people that deliberately went to, went mm-hmm. to film school. I'd say that's the majority. And then you have some people that just had a knack for that kind of storytelling, that kind of thinking, and they somehow realized it and, and rolled with it. You know, it, it does yeah, chew a yeah. lot of people out and spit them back out a lot. So either you're the kind of person that can say, okay, the next nine months, I'm going to try to tell this, you know, this animal story, this, these people's story, and that's going to be my life. I'm going to eat it and breathe it and spend 16 hours a day doing it and not have any days off and make something that's creative and compelling. Or you decide, no, I actually want to live a real life. Right. <laughs> so it, 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 it does definitely uh, burn through a lot of folks. And I'm not going to lie, there's times where I'm like, okay, should I just like go find something easier to do? Yeah, like, why <laughs> am I doing this? <clears throat> exactly. Because you get a lot of sure middle of you, any natural history. You accrue, which, a, you accrue a, lot of, a lot of miles as far as flights go, right? Like bonus uh, oh, yeah. rewards miles and stuff. <laughs> uh, it depends. I, I try to get them to stick to one airline. It doesn't help you to have a thousand miles scattered between 20 airlines, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, I just went to Komodo, Rinka, Bali on miles. I went to Costa Rica on miles and then to get my taxes done, I had to go to Vegas on miles. So in the last two months, I've traveled three times by plane on frequent flyer miles. So I definitely accrue a lot, um, <laughs> but um, it depends. Like dead by dawn, we flew Emirates a lot. You have to have a lot of Emirates miles for this to count for anything. Mm-hmm. So those were kind of throwaways, but you know, there's, well, I could, I could throw in a whole strategy of miles and travel herping, uh, for one, I'll keep it, I'll keep it brief because we've got other stuff to cover, but run every bill you have through a mileage credit card, pick an airline, preferably pick one where the miles don't expire and they go far. I choose Delta, but American's also a pretty decent one. Um, I wouldn't go with someone Southwest because if you want to do international travel, they don't do that very much. So stick to like one of the big ones and go uh, anywhere okay. in the world that you'd like to go. Yep. So, like, Delta has usually, Delta or American are fighting for the best freaking flyer program in the country. They're a little more on the flights, but they have the most international options. So, get the get the credit card, run every freaking bill you can through that credit card, because that way every dime you spend is earning you a mile. Um, and then in addition to that, you can go on, like, points.com, and for a fee, if you have a bunch of American miles and a bunch of United miles and United miles expire you could actually pay a fee and transfer them all into one account. So say you've got 50,000 miles scattered between three airline accounts, condense those all over to one. Well, now you've got two trips to Costa Rica if you time those right. So um, that's my little pitch for work the mileage system. And also sign up when they've got the best bonus. Sometimes the American Express Delta gives a 70,000 bonus, and you can literally get to Costa Rica on 25,000 miles. So that's that's two good trips. That's two rad trips for free. You pay nothing for that. So... 
you know, I, 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 I think it's so important for people to travel, not just to see cool herbs. Um, but I don't know that I would be the conservation minded person I am today. Yeah. Um, you know, really understand the HCI would have not happened for, for my contribution to it. Had I not gone and see other places and, it really gives you a broader world perspective and, and puts everything Definitely. good and bad into perspective. And like, whether you like to herp or you like to see flowers, mm-hmm. travel should be everyone's priority to, to some extent. And it takes sacrifices. It takes saving. It takes not, you know, doing, um, you know, my car is old and paid off. The wife's car is old and paid off. Could have a nicer car, but, I could also go see Komodo dragons. Yeah. And I'm going to do that instead. <laughs> my, my car's paid off too. And I have friends who are like, why don't you get a new car? I'm like, have you ever not had a car payment? It's pretty freaking sweet. Like it's pretty nice. Oh yeah. I'd rather have that I mean, than most something of my trips, nice anyway, you know, any day. <clears> yeah. Most <throat> of the trips I ever do are under a couple grand. That's what you months of car payments, depending on the expense of the car, maybe six months of car payments. Mm-hmm. So pay off your car, stick that money into a savings account, and then, you know, run some miles through some points cards. If you're, you know, if you got sick of another and you're both getting a points bonus, you could probably go somewhere awesome by the end of the year. Yeah. Like, no joke. Now, real quick, if someone wants to go herping and they want to go travel, but they have not traveled before, where's the, where's the place you would recommend someone goes first? I mean, that depends what you're into, man. Like, well, I guess <laughs> in terms of like herping. safety and like coolest stuff you'll find and maybe lowest cost in terms of travel, you know, is there a... Okay, well, I'd say great starter travel. Great, great, great starter travel <clears throat> is where I plan to retire and where I have property, which is Costa Rica. Um, it, you know, today with Google Translate, you literally don't need to speak a language anywhere you go. Mm-hmm. In Indonesia, I can order off any menu just using it. The camera actually will translate menus towards you understand. Sometimes it's weird. It doesn't make any sense. But for the most part, you can tell what it says and you can make your order using an app. So language isn't the barrier it used to be, but Costa Rica, almost everyone speaks some English or understands it a little bit. And so even if you don't know Spanish, you can get around Costa Rica fine. It's safe. It's not as safe as it used to be. It used to be super safe. And now it's, you know, any middle-sized city of America safe. You know, there, there is a murder rate around San Jose. You don't want to hang out there. But it, relatively to most places you go, it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty safe. Compared to other Central um, American countries, I've heard it's pretty pretty tame compared oh, to yeah. you know, Honduras and compared Salvador and stuff like Central that. America. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the murder rate as a national average is lower than a lot of the American big cities, but it is higher than America overall. But it is concentrated in San Jose. So um, I would say it's a heck of a lot safer than New Orleans or – a lot of your Midwestern big cities, a heck of a lot safer. Um, it's not, say, United Arab Emirates safe. That's about as safe as you can get. That's safer than here. Um, so there's a spectrum. And, and the more you travel, the more you realize, like, okay, well, you know, the U.S. actually isn't the safest place in the world, but, you know, Honduras is definitely not safe at all. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I've heard yeah, it's, it's rough it's down there, man. Because we have, I, I work at a cigar shop, uh, and I've had a few guys that come in, and they they've been to the Honduras to do some of the factory tours and stuff, and they're like, "Man, that place is just depressing." They say the Honduras are just they're rough. There's just people are just not taken care of, and it's it's, it's the highest murder rate in the world. Yeah, I mean, I think America has what five murders per hundred thousand, and they've got two hundred, so they're really into murder, Ooh. which is bad. <laughs> Costa Rica is eleven to a hundred thousand. So, but then like New Orleans, I think is like forty to a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. 
So that's why you look at a national number, then you compare it to Sydney, you're like, oh, okay, that's not that bad. But, I mean, the reason I suggest Costa Rica is it's easy to get around. There's a t- the, the herping is usually very, very, very good in terms of numbers. Yep. And there's some cool, iconic stuff to see. The rainforest is beautiful. There's monkeys. There's macaws. There's toucans. It's relaxing. You can be as hardcore or as kickback as you want to be. The biodiversity is great. So that's a good, cheap first trip. I mean, flying from California, if you hit it just right, Costa Rica is 250 bucks round trip. Usually what? you're looking at close to 400. What did you say? I said, well, that's, that's nothing. No, yeah. And, and from anywhere else in the country, if you hit it right, five, 600 bucks round trip. When you get down there, hotels are going to be like 60 to $80. So it's not like... Uh, Bali cheap. That's another place. I mean, Bali is, if you hit it right, 800 to a thousand bucks to get there. And hotels are like $10 for a really nice hotel and food's like a dollar a meal. Costa Rica is not that Costa Rica meals are like under 10 bucks and hotels are usually under a hundred bucks, but it's from LA. It's a four and a half hour flight from Texas. It's like a four and a half hour flight, you know, from Houston, Um, you know, from middle of the country, it's a little longer, but it's still, it's close. It's easy. It's chill. It's mm-hmm. low stress. The driving's pretty much the same as here. You know, it's uh, that's my number one go-to. My number two, if you want to go a little more exotic, you know, there, there's a lot of people that do really good tours in Indonesia, and they're affordable. And Indonesia is also awesome, very, very foreign, very, very different. You might crap your pants and throw up out your nose um, <laughs> because sometimes food poisoning is every time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know people that haven't, but I know some people that really have. You don't get that in Costa Rica. You do in Indonesia. And then if you want to splurge and you, you know, have extra money, my number one iconic place for people to travel once before they die would be South Africa. And that's just because as a naturalist generalist, if you're like the kid that loved the zoo, Mm -hmm. you get to see all of that uncaged. You know, the herping can be hit and miss. It's you got a really good herping and really bad herping there. But the other animals, I mean, you're talking cheetahs, leopards, flamingos, ostriches, penguins, uh, rhinos, elephants, giraffes, zebras, monitor lizards, chameleons, pythons, cobras, all in one spot. Like, you don't go a day without seeing something that you never thought you'd see in the wild. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of another place in the world like that where you just, like, every day it's like some experience – you, you'd be driving and you look at a river and there's like hippopotamus and, and crocodiles everywhere. Yeah, like, okay, it just yeah. covers the spectrum. You know, you got the megafauna and then you have everything in between and it'd be pretty, mm-hmm. pretty And it sweet. can be hit and miss for herping, but it's worth every penny to go to South Africa. If you have, like I said, that one's not the cheapest trip in the world, but, you know, if you want to save up and just do one iconic trip, mm-hmm. you could definitely make it worth your while in South Africa. Well, like I was telling you earlier, man, Costa Rica is pretty much at the top of my list right there with with West Texas, oddly enough. Everyone kind of gives me a hard time for, they're like, you can go herping anywhere. Where's it going to be? I'm going to be like, West Texas, because I want to find gray bands and bears, rat snakes, and a bunch of rattlesnakes. And, uh, you know, every all of my friends are like, Australia, man, that's where I want to go. And I'm like, Costa Rica and Texas. But yeah, just... I mean, Costa Rica's rad, man. You could, you could uh, sea snakes, sea turtles, eyelash vipers, boa constrictors. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's plenty to see there. And the dart frogs. Which are easy to see. Which That's is nice. a big thing for me. Is I want to see some dart frogs and I want to see some uh, some some corallus. No, those are those are trickier to find there. Um, the Russian burger eye are. To put the time in. Yeah, I mean honestly, all the corallus are tricky. Um, they're they're not the easiest thing to see in the world, but they're there. You just hmm. have to look around. Their eyes reflect at night, which is helpful. Yeah. Um, makes them a little easier to see because they're reflective eyes, but still not. You know, I wouldn't say they're like a guaranteed thing. Like you will probably 
see Imentodes and, and you'll probably see parrot snakes and you're probably going to see fertile ants. Um, you're you're going to see cat snakes. Uh, tiger rat snakes aren't that hard to find. Red tail boa, or not red tail boas, the common boa constrictor is pretty common. Um, all your crowds, it's it's like anywhere in the world. They're in the trees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they can be a little harder to see. Yeah. Are you going to be near Ray Morgan at all when you guys get the property finished? What part of the what part uh, of the country so is he in? Ray Morgan's Ray Morgan's in northern Costa Rica. He's by Arenal. Um, oh, okay. So I do try to stop by when I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, so last year I visited him once out there in three trips. Um, but he's north of San Jose, and I'm south of San Jose. So I usually don't naturally go by his area. It's like a three-hour detour yeah, north. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do drive right by Quetzal Dwyer's place, which if you're ever in Costa Rica, is totally worth it. Um, it's funny, Quetzal's, Quetzal's low-key, but he's like one of the really, probably the field herper that impresses me the most when you talk to, like, talk to him about the stuff he's found and the trips he's taken. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if you want to see reptile care to the most exceptional level I've ever seen a private individual take it, go to Dominical, go to Parker Reptilandia. His setups are awesome. I mean, he really takes it to the next level. So I usually stop by and say hi to Quetzal on the way down. But, I mean, it's, it's worth it. Well, that's cool, man. How does how does one go about finding property in Costa Rica to begin with? Oh, shoot. You remind me. I want to make a post about that. So um, there's, there's realtors there. The weird thing is the real estate's pretty unregulated in terms of who can sell it because it still has to go through a lawyer anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, Costa Rica's got a lot of lawyers and good lawyers. Um, so they always try to find ways to loop everything back through lawyers. So like anyone can be a real estate agent, but it has to go through a lawyer. So as a result, there's a lot of real estate agents. There's a lot of American real estate agents down there. Yeah. I know there's a lot of expats down there. Like there's a lot of people that retire and and go live down there. There's a ton of expats down there. You have to take the realtors. Sometimes the grain of salt because it's so unregulated. Mm -hmm. Um, I've actually personally looked at a ton of lots and I thought, uh, when I go down there, I'll probably keep looking at land, even though I don't plan to purchase more. So if other people are like, hey, I want to purchase land, I'd be like, hey, yeah, check this plot out, this plot out, this plot out. That'd be awesome. Because I'd rather have people owning the land down there that want to keep it natural than yeah, want to tear it definitely. down. Um, there's actually two plots that I looked at before the one we purchased. And uh, I keep telling people, like, if you want a really good price pro- plot, let me know. I've got a spot. I'll send you the, I'll send you the guy's info because, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not super cheap for land down there, but there's still areas that are pretty reasonable. Yeah. And uh, there's some that are still pretty wild, too. All right. Well, to get back on track to what we are originally here <laughs> to talk about, but um, I, we should let's jump into the, I guess, the Zilla thing first. <clears throat> um, so you do a web series, which I'm sure plenty of people have seen on Facebook, but it's it's Beyond the Glass. Uh, it's a web series that I is... Like, like hosted by Zilla, but you, I guess, are in charge of production on it. And how does how did that all come come to be? So it's it's let me it's Zilla's show. Zilla owns Beyond the Glass. Okay, I did the same as I would like if it was Animal Planet. Mm-hmm. People don't realize Discovery Channel, Animal Planet, and Geo they, they don't actually usually make the shows themselves. They hire a company to do it. Okay. Um. So Ryan and I had already been talking and. I kind of had the idea in my mind. And as I was talking to him, he kind of had the same idea I had. I was like, wouldn't it be awesome to show people where the animals come from? He's like, yes, I've been wanting to do that. I'm like, okay, let me, let me produce a process and see how we can do this. And, you know, in TV numbers, there's no way you could ever produce it online and make it affordable. Mm -hmm. 
But I was like, okay, if we want to just make this happen, let's find a way to make it happen. So we found a way to, you know, work it out where it's not like, you know, a, a giant crew. We scaled it back. It was just Devin on camera, myself, and then my uh, editor Carter is like the entire team. And then we had uh, locals on the ground for that. So like Nathan Roosley from the Chili Wong, uh, I think it's Herpetarium now. They changed their name recently. It was Reptile Center. Um, and yeah, it was, it was like, let's make it work. So the entire concept behind Beyond the Glass is, is really pretty simple. Show people where the animals come from, take measurements in the field so they can relate that back to how to set it up. You know, a lot of people are going in yeah. and setting up these animals completely blind, right? Like I know what a file snake's habitat looks like. I've been there. Um, I know what a, a, a boa constrictor's habitat looks like because I've been there. But if you haven't been there, you're you're kind of somewhat guessing. Right. Like, I think it should be this. So I'm like, well, let's visually go find a retic, take the temperature and humidity on the spot. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, if you're setting up a retic, this, this is what it should look like because this is where it's at. Um, so we did 12 episodes and it's it's been pretty well received. People are enjoying it and we're looking for the next 12 you know, next 12 animals. And it's, it's going to be a matter of schedules lining up, you know, we're, we're trying not to have a gap between seasons per mm-hmm. se. Um, but again, I'm always working different documentaries. Devin's always working doc- different documentaries, sometimes working those documentaries together. The schedules and stars don't always line up to make it real easy to make more, but it is something, I think I can say this, it is something that we are currently in process of doing more beyond the glass. Cause you know, being able to share with people, where the animals come from, I hope would inspire them mm-hmm. to try to do a little bit more. Yeah. You don't, I guess what it comes down to, and this is going to be probably something that will, uh, people won't want to agree with or not want to hear. Um, but Oh, well, is that I think for too long, we've been looking at animal care for a lot of us as what's the minimum care requirements, right? right. That's always kind right. of what the care sheets are. Like, it's got to be this hot, this humid, mm-hmm. and a box. And I'm like, yeah, but what What if people start looking at it as what's the most I could do? Like, wh- yeah. how? What? what's the best I could do by them? Not the least, but the best. And, you know, for me personally, that's kind of been the direction I've headed. And, you know, like I said, Quetzal is an inspiration for that. His animals look amazing and vibrant, and his setups are exceptional. But you know, without having kind of an idea where to start of what the natural habitat looks like and, and, and maybe what niches they have, you know, like right. the dragon snakes living in rock crevices above a Creek. Well, now, you know, like, Oh cool. I could do like a little elevated, like rock hide shelter. Mm-hmm. That's what they naturally use. You know, I, I wouldn't yeah. have thought to give a, a dragon snake any sort of shelter, but here it is yeah. just above no. the Creek in like a little rock hole. Like, there's an application. People um, just forget that there's, yeah, that's, a, that's, there's a very big difference between thriving and surviving. Yes, exactly, exactly. And, you know, I, I, I can't say that um, I think everyone's probably been guilty at one point or another of doing it on a budget and, and and trying to go for quantity over the quality, but I, I also think herpes culture as a whole is evolving. I think people are starting to go, oh, cool, this animal actually could thrive well in bioactive, and some mm-hmm. no, but some can. And why not? You know, why why don't we strive for the best possible we can do yeah and i mean you don't know for all i mean people there's there you know you've seen the debate on facebook of people who are like tubs versus you know quote-unquote naturalistic setups and i feel like 
both camps, at least a majority of the people in both camps, haven't tried the other side of what they're arguing for. Like people in tubs haven't mm-hmm. really tried keeping green trees in naturalistic setups to see if they actually see a difference in, as far as behavior goes with their animals. And the naturalistic people haven't tried keeping them in tubs to see, you know, maybe appreciate what they do as is. And it's just, it's, I don't know. I don't know that there's necessarily a right answer to either. I keep mine pretty simple. Um, but I also have dart frogs and I have, you know, a fully planted vivarium and I really enjoy that. And, yeah. I, you know, it's, it's cool. Yeah, I think it all depends on the species. Like full aquatics, I think absolutely, especially like your, your difficult full aquatics, which I, I dabble in absolutely need a ton of hide. If you could see the animal, they're probably stressed out too much and they're probably not going to thrive. Um, so that's an example where, you know, you treat like a fish and and given the shells here, and like they're not going to use like a shelter shell. So they need to be able to move in their entire aquarium without being seen. They need yeah. that element of surprise, that, that similarity. So there's one that I'd say needs it. And then you've got your in-betweeners. I think um, your boiga don't need it, but if you give them a nice big setup with a ton of different spots you'll see them perched in a different tree every night yeah and and it'll probably be more rewarding to you as a keeper and obviously they're behaving differently than they would if they only had one option so maybe it's rewarding to them Mm -hmm. and then you've got things like you know your uh african file snakes that probably aren't going to do anything different it's just a different option of of setting up so (laughs) i think there probably is a spectrum i don't know if there's a wrong or right answer i personally like the idea of trying to go the extra mile because I'm, I'm not large scale breeding. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would definitely say for like baby snakes, it makes it a heck of a lot harder. You know, my definitely. baby boy guys certainly don't put on substrate because what if they swallow it? <laughs> right. Well, I think that's the best answer we've had to that debate and in all the episodes we've done. Well, good. 10 I points. like that. <laughs> Cause I, like I said, I see both sides. I keep a lot of mine pretty simple. That's just the way I like to do it, you know. Because well, disease vectors and everything else—it's way easier. Yeah. Like, yeah. <clears throat> like if I have something sick, I simplify the enclosure right away. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so there is something to be said for that—the cleanliness and the, the sterility. So like I said, for some animals, especially arboreal and aquatic animals, they do behave different, and that makes me go, "I'm not sure." Mm-hmm. But I also, I have a general approach to most things, um, which is if there's two ways to do it and the risk of doing it the one way is, well, I was right, so nothing. And the risk to do it the other way is, let me, let me, let me back up. Try to, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I'm trying to think of a way to say it not politically because the only way I, I've used this example is political, which has always been like, okay, well, if you throw away every bit of plastic you ever use. And it turns out that's not impactful. Okay. Then mm-hmm. it's not impactful and you didn't need to do that. But if it is, then go back in time and correct it. So just play it safe. Play by the whatever's the, right. the lesser of twos. Um, so that's like with our boy on the aquatic stuff. Maybe they don't care that they have 10 different purchases to choose from. But I'll never know if they do or not. So I might as well err on the side of they do. Yeah. That was terrible. If, if you have editing, you got to edit all of that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. So as far as the Zilla stuff goes, is what what what's the process in determining where you guys go and what species you're going to highlight? Is it kind of based on like 
what you know what what species are common as far as people are keeping is it like this country is you know a place that we can go to where we don't have to worry about getting like kidnapped like what's the what's the process behind that well well i will say the kidnapping thing is the one thing we're not factoring in in fact the number one on my list and where we'll probably go we'll need security it's not the best place in the world Mm -hmm. um but i've got life insurance that's fine um (laughs) (laughs) usually what what it it comes down to is two things accessibility Mm -hmm. um like australia is high on the list but there's a lot of permits that you're supposed to get to interact with wild animals right 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 you're not supposed to run up and pick up beer dragons i know every herper in the world does but as a professional, this is also my occupation. I'm not yeah. going to do anything that's not absolutely by the book. So accessibility, ease of accessibility. I need like tight, you know, quick turnaround because my schedule changes quickly. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like you said, what we're going to keep doing with Beyond the Glass is probably the same formula every season. We want to do a lot of animals that a lot of people keep that they're very familiar with so the most possible people can apply it with a couple really cool rare passion project animals that I just like. You know, like this season we had dragon snakes and we had homolopsis, the mm-hmm. puff-faced water snakes. Those were those were because I like them and I'm passionate about them. And when someone's passionate, you're excited, you're sharing, you know, yeah. something that yeah. intrigues you, it comes through. So we're going to do a couple rare things and then a whole bunch of really common pet animals. And that's what we're going to keep targeting. So, you know, this season was short-tailed pythons and retics and toke geckos. And, you know, who knows? There, there's a lot of places to go. There's a lot of animals to cover. Costa Rica will definitely eventually be one, um, but there's also plenty of places in Africa we still need to hit. There's a place in Australia, but it will continue being, you know, the animals people are most familiar with because in the end, the point of this is to have an application. Right, right. And it, it doesn't really help that many people if I get it in depth how to take care of, you know, Acrocordus going to a lot of us. <laughs> or can I put in a request and say, do one on chondros if you're willing to go to Papua New Guinea? I am totally willing to go to Papua New Guinea. Because I hear it's kind of um, sketchy there, too. And I will too. say... Yeah, no, it's definitely sketchy there. I will say that's that's going to be the next couple of years for sure. I'm not sure if it's going to be the very next one. It could be. But um, there's basically... There's two places we're going back and forth on, and it depends on everyone's availability where we mm-hmm. go. I mean, PNG would be high on the list. There's a lot of cool stuff to do there. You're on the other side of Wallace's line, so it's different enough from, you know, your Javan stuff and your your, your northern Indonesian stuff. Yeah. So that's definitely super high on my list. And it, I will say if I am – if Zilla continues to want more beyond the glass, I will, you know, continue happily making them. Um, again, it's their show, so <laughs> they get to say. Mm-hmm. But Papua New Guinea would definitely be top of my list of, yeah, we need to go there. <laughs> And you said you did 12 episodes of that? Yeah, so there's 12 episodes of Beyond the Glass. They range in length from five to... Our last episode might be like 10 minutes long. Um, it's going to be a longer one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's 12 episodes, very length, but we try to make it so people can watch it, take it, and not get bored. It's yeah. YouTube. People don't watch long format. Um, and, and hopefully, I think our goal, or really Zillow's goal is, but together is you know, working with them, um, would be to keep this series going year after year, mm-hmm. you know, to, to keep bringing people the wild habitats of animals uh, to them. And because the feedback's been great. People, you know, really said, wow, I, I never realized. Yeah, it's neat to see where these, you know, like. we see these animals at shows and stuff all the time, but few people are actually could point out on a map, you know, where they actually come from and, you know, see, oh, see, yeah. I mean, see I, where I they're actually doing in their natural state. 
Oh, yeah. If I showed people 10 pictures of Habitat and I said, which one's a leopard gecko? Most people are probably going to get it wrong. You know, it's, it's, it's just a thing. We don't, we don't see these wild places mm-hmm. these animals come from, so we don't know what to associate. You know, it's yeah. definitely not the fake cheesy background that you bought at the aquarium store <laughs> <laughs> the other day. I, I bought an aquarium uh, used one, and the back was one of those old printed photo backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that the, the, the one side was fake coral, of which none of it would occur in the same area. And the other <laughs> side was aquatic plants. And I have to know a little bit about those two. And I'm looking at it, and some of the aquatic plants are bromeliads. I'm like, <laughs> what in the 1990s? <laughs> this has got to go. <laughs> Something's not right here. <clears throat> How's the? Yeah, how how long was production for 12 episodes of that, though? Was that something that took like the span of like a year? Were you cranking out like an episode a month? Like, what's the? What's that like? No. So, um, one thing that helps on that program is we get the whole shoot done in two to three weeks, and oh, wow. we are not. We are not sleeping or Traveling taking all? breaks. So that's kind of my mo for everything. Dead by dawn, we went six months without any days off too, and you know that could be sixteen to twenty hour days. So, um, no, we, we we shoot it all in two to three weeks usually. Mm-hmm. Or we try to, and then in order to like accommodate everyone's schedules, it's then edited over the next twelve months. So my editor kind of will do, you know, an episode a month. He mm-hmm. could get it all done much faster, but we space it out a little bit. There's no reason to, to rush it all in that yeah. way. Um, he can also work on other projects. Like he worked on Dead by Dawn uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can keep him employed multiple ways. So, you know, it, it, it spans about a year. And like I said, um, there's little notes and, and adjusting VO and stuff along the way. But the, the main shooting is done over a couple of weeks. Sounds uh sounds pretty hectic though with travel and stuff and I'm sure there's about a billion layovers there and back you know wherever you happen to be going. Yeah, usually the layovers <laughs> as long as I have enough time. Like Dead by Dawn, we had forty five cases or something like that between three people. The crew was just three people. <sighs> wow. Um, yeah, so that's hectic if you don't have a couple hours. <laughs> Especially, like, what most people don't realize, most countries will check your bags all the way through, but that's not all countries. Mm-hmm. So, like, China, you can check all your stuff all the way through, and if you have a day layover, you can go out and eat an egg roll. That's what I do when I've got a layover in China. I <laughs> eat egg rolls. And I've done that four or five times now because I like egg rolls enough that I will uh, get a taxi cab to get egg rolls. So um, that that's an always must. <laughs> <laughs> do you They're not even really as good there either? Yeah. Do you it's still like, get your do, do you still get your ass kicked by jet lag though, even after traveling this much, or do you adjust to it over time? Uh, there's no. You know, I used to have no problem whatsoever. It used to just be like rally. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> grab a coffee and keep going. Yeah. I think as I'm getting older now, I'm starting to be like I'm tired. But it it when you're in the shoot mode, um, I always tell people. Dead by Dawn. Zilla's different. Zilla's fun. Like that that was just like really herping. But it's still busy and hard work. But like a long shoot like Dead by Dawn where it's six months on the road and you're not going home in between each shoot. You're mm-hmm. just going one country to the next to the next to the next. Um in the middle of it, even Shark Week, in the middle of it, it's not <laughs> you're not going, This is the most fun I've ever had. Yeah, you're exhausted, like, you're tired. Is, and you yeah. just kind of reach you reach equilibrium with being exhausted. So yeah, you're jet lagged, but you're never not tired mm-hmm. and you just get used to that being the normal 
and you get home and you sleep for like a week, <laughs> like if you have the luxury, <laughs> which oftentimes you don't. But um, yeah, it's it, it's tough. You, I, I I have a hard time saying if I was jet lagged or not because the first leg of Dead by Dawn, we were only sleeping for like two to three hours, and then shooting, and then sleeping another two to three hours. You know, we weren't getting more than six hours of sleep, but not at the same time. Uh, if I was jet lagged, I wouldn't have known it anyways because it's just generally. Yeah, that's brutal. I couldn't. I couldn't do that. I don't handle lack of sleep well. <laughs> like I, I like my sleep too much for that. But <clears throat> and well, you know, I tell people like, the job is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Like you're gonna miss a lot of really cool things in your friends and other people's lives. That just that's just how it goes. Right. I mean, during the whole shoot, uh, Devin got married right towards the end of it, and his wife had to plan their wedding all on her own. Like. All that was not, you know, he didn't get a bachelor party because we were on the road during the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's a lot of your standard normal stuff, birthday parties and stuff that you just miss and, and sleep, you miss all of that. Yeah. But in the end, I think when you walk away and you get messages or people, you know, shooting you a text going, I got, I got one text from a friend I hadn't talked to in a long time. And he said, just finished the second episode of Dead by Dawn. All of my kids were woke watching it they didn't look at their cell phones the entire time i think that's the longest they've gone without looking at their cell phone in a year thank you and it's like (laughs) and it's like don't thank me it takes an army but the fact that you know you miss stuff and there's blood sweat and you know little blood sweat and tears Mm -hmm. going into this but then to know that you you are transporting someone into the animal world and they're getting to see something and they're enjoying it then you go you know what i do it again Maybe yeah. not right away, yeah. but I do it again because that that's why you do it. You do it for people to to see wild the way you see it. Like I said, it's I think there's a natural progression of for me it was field herper keeper and then more field herper and I, and I think if you appreciate animals on those different levels, conservation mm-hmm. just naturally evolves in you. You know, you go I want I want to go back and see those animals in the place I used to see them. Yeah, uh, my fa- my favorite spot I've ever herped first single night was a spot for eyelash vipers and i was with ray morgan and my buddy eric briggs and his wife aaron briggs and, and my wife and we were you know night hiking eyelash vipers and we probably found 13 14 eyelash vipers in a couple hours wow and we saw you know snail eaters and and you know saibon iman toadies just one heck of a herping night we're sitting there going, i think that was like 30 snakes are you tired yeah let's go get a beer like he literally called it because we we'd you know Night was done in, in a perfect night. Mm-hmm. I go back there over the filming of Dead by Dawn. It's gone. That oh, whole area's man. gone. There's, you, it, it's you know now it's now it's a horse field, and I think you see that stuff, and that's when an opportunity to make like a Dead by Dawn show arises. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we need this. We need more people to appreciate nature where it is, so that you can go back there. And if I give you, you know, like, hey, oh, you want to go see eyelash vipers? Go to the spot, and no, it's still going to be there. Right. Because that's right. not that's not how it actually is. Like, I'd, I'd have to go double check all the spots I sent you to because they may not be there. Like, the yeah. world's not stasis. And I think um, that's but the, for people to care. That's the disconnect for a lot of people. Yeah, like they they hear about deforestation and stuff all the time, but it's so I don't know how to explain it. Like, they hear about it, but they don't actually see it. So it's hard for them to sort of connect the dots in a way where it's like, okay, yeah, there's you know tons of rainforest in the Amazon getting cut down on a monthly basis but 
until you actually have that sort of experience like you did, people just aren't going to make that sort of correlation. So that I don't think they're going to be as emotionally invested in it like you would be, you know, where you where you saw yeah, it I and think, you, you experienced know, it. I think it's one thing to hear it, and it's another thing to be compassionate about the animals to yeah, give a damn. Yeah. It, you know, like everyone hears the rainforest is going away. I heard it, and like honestly, it's like yeah, okay. Uh, but then specifically, like if you're really into eyelash vipers and your eyelash viper habitat's getting cut down, you're really into this, you're really into that. And again, that 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 is where I think natural history makes a difference. Is because people get fascinated, they read, they get mm-hmm. invested, and that's when they're going to care if that forest gets cut down. Because until they are really passionate and especially passionate about a place, until they really know about it. If you don't know about something, if you're completely ignorant about it, you know, by no fault of your own, you just, this is in basic grade school right, material. Just out of the loop. You're not going to care if it's cut down. It's yeah. just a bad commercial. You know, it's right. an annoying commercial. If you if you do get invested, if you do research, if you do get passionate, then you're going to care. And we need more people to care. Because huh. I know you, you posted a, a really interesting shot of an orangutan recently and talked about palm oil and how that's that industry is really, really doing a number on those. And I think, I I know that got shared a lot. Like that, that got a lot of attention. Yeah. I mean, palm oil is one of those, it's tough too. Like, you know, the sad truth of it is you can do everything in the world possible to try to have less of an impact on the wild places and you still have an impact. Right. Right. It's not about the matter of space you take up as a person. Every product you consume came from somewhere and had to be grown somewhere. And, uh, you know, palm oil is one of the really bad ones. It, it's always grown in high peat environment. Costa Rica, tons of palm oil in Costa Rica. You know, there's a good two hours of the drive when I go from the San Jose airport to my property that I'm just going through palm oil fields that, you know, used to be pristine habitat. And Borneo, you know, the third biggest island in the world, some 40% endemism rate. I think it's like 38%, but let's round up. Um, like, that's getting wiped out. And I've been to Borneo and I've driven through there. I've gone to the little strip river where the orangutan are. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. <laughs> the rest is a cooking oil. Do we, do we really need cooking oil or do we have this amazing animal that looks at you with those eyes? And I, I spent a good amount of time staring at that, that animal going, this is, this is insane. The way it looks at you and you look back at yeah, it. Like knowing there's something there, like there's a, you know, a, a, another being that's on a similar level of intelligence, you know, to you, unlike anything else that, that, knows what's exactly. happening we were and observing it's just, each other it yeah. wasn't one way yeah and that and that's like palm oil uh, that's why i i always share it because i've seen it and and it, it does make a difference but statistically it is very damaging product of course there's a lot of them i mean soy for cattle feed has ruined the entire Mato Grosso. i mean if you're familiar with any of the early explorers uh percy fawcett was looking for the you know the lost city of z um and if you actually take the coordinates in the book and i i did because I was researching at one point for a, a program, and you and you map them down, where he thought the city was, it's just a soybean field. There is no freaking lost city because there's nothing left of that rainforest. And we're talking rainforest. We can read books about people getting lost, and 90 people losing their lives, and whole crews never being seen again. All of it is soybean field. So <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Moving on. So we're to... gonna have to start eating dirt. So I've yeah. got a, a, a dirt cookbook <laughs> called a. Dirt clods and biscuits. Yep. Um, it's on Amazon. I'm just <laughs> uh, so dead by dawn. You you mentioned on Facebook was kind of your uh, your your brainchild of sorts. So, 
yeah, can it's, uh, dive into that a little bit because it's it's an awesome program. If no one's checked it out yet, like I said, I've only seen one episode. I, it came on at work the other night, and I got all excited because I've been wanting to watch it. I don't have TV at my house. I don't really watch TV. Uh, Neither do I. And so it came on at work, and I got all excited because it was slow at, at work, and I was like, sweet, I'm going to get to watch this. And I it was the... Uh, the African episode, and like I said, I don't know if you guys did more than one episode in Africa, or if it was just the one, but it was really so it was cool. One, one, one Africa episode, yeah. Um, I guess it's not unusual in reptiles. It, it isn't any other crowd. It's not unusual in reptiles to, to like heavier music, mm-hmm. and that kind of comes with the, the horror world, so I've yeah. definitely always appreciated it. You know, I wouldn't say I'm like a huge horror enthusiast, but you know, it, I watch the horror movies right, when they come right. out, and I, I guilty admit that I still listen to like Rob Zombie, Marilyn Manson, Corn, Slipknot. I've got terrible music taste, and I just own it. Um, <laughs> you know, it basically the only difference between me listening to music now than when I was twenty is now I probably have like a Scotch and a cigar with Marilyn Manson in the background. There you go, and that's the only difference, um, which is terrible. My music taste should have changed, but it hasn't. But <laughs> so I think that's that kind of all the things I like kind of summed up into one. And I was actually driving to another shoot and we're discussing the style of the show, uh, of the show we're about to go do. And it kind of had a horror motif and I was uh, just watching, you know, I can't remember what had just come out, but I was like, man, people love the walking dead. They love American yep, horror yep, story. Yep. They're drawn to it. And, and if we could just take nature and tell it in that story, we don't have to change what we're telling. Literally just the survival of animals, right? Mm-hmm. If you're mm-hmm. a prey item, if you were a mouse, every night would be scary because we have to make up Godzilla. We have to make yeah. up King Kong. We have to come up with monsters because there aren't any. But if you're really tiny, there's plenty of monsters for you. I'm like, just tell the story that's already there that just hasn't been told. And maybe people will watch nature shows again because the truth is people don't really watch them that well in the United States. They do worldwide, but in the United States, people don't watch nature shows very much. Mm-hmm. Um, not when Jersey Shore's on. What did you say? I said not when Jersey Shore's on. Oh, yeah, no. Everyone's too too keen to see Here Come Honey Boo Boo eat spaghetti and butter to yeah. into something. <laughs> so, you know, that, that, that was basically where the show came from was let's see if we take the genre – and tell stories that have always been there and come up with something people might tune into. And then that, that's kind of the, the thinking behind it. And that took, you know, several months to, to hash out. But, um, yeah, that was, that was definitely my, as I called around the office, my baby. Cause yeah, I, I got really fired up about finding a way to take this very popular genre and animals and capture that genre's audience over to animals. Well, it was it funny because crazy. <laughs> I saw the trailer for it first a couple months ago. It was on Facebook. Someone, one of my friends had shared it, and I was like, oh, well, this looks interesting. What is it? And so I'm watching it, and like the first 10 seconds, we have the, the narration and stuff, and I'm like, oh, here we go. Another a show that's making snakes look kind of, you know, bad. But then oh, yeah. I no, kept definitely. watching it, like, and immediately I was like, wait a second. Like, this is like the coolest concept for a show I've seen in a long time. And I got super hyped about it, and a bunch of other people, because it was funny. There were some comments in the video, too, that were like, this is this is horrible, this is violent, whatever. There were some bizarre, like, high into the right comments about it. But I watched the whole thing, man. I got excited. I was like, this is cool, because this is the kind of stuff, you know, it's not flamingos just walking around in a pond or something like that. Like, it's it's legit. Like, this is what it's like every night for these animals. You know, this is a, like you said, it's it's the struggle that they're going through on a nightly basis. And it, it really is like a horror movie for a lot of these, these animals that are on the bottom of the food chain. 
Oh, for sure. And, you know, I think what, um, I knew we were going to have people like, oh, makes makes it bad. And in fact, in the Java episode, uh, the Indonesia episode, we kind of baited into that on purpose um, mm-hmm. because that's the direction the audience expects it to go. Right. And we wanted to do, you know, horror movies are famous for adding plot twists, right? So I can say this now because the episode's out. Um, the beginning of the episode, right before we left, we heard that uh, – the, the suburbs of Jakarta and Jakarta itself has had a huge increase in the number of retics seen in the city. So we found out, yeah, there's retics in the city and, and they're filmable. And we're like, well, what if we wanted to tie human encroachment into the show as much as possible? So we had some human encroachment in the UAE episode. We had some human encroachment in the South episode, uh, Southern U.S. And you know, so we had Arabia, Southern U.S. and uh, uh, the Java one all had you know, human encroachment as a, a subplot, right? Um, and so we had this retake going to the city, and there's cats everywhere. And I knew watching it that, you know, I used to keep retakes. I used to breed them a little bit. And it's like, as a retake owner, you're going to see this going, oh, they're going to demonize the snake. Mm-hmm. When in actuality, the role they play in that ecosystem is pest control. And right. rats carry a lot of disease. Right. So... I knew there was going to be people that see and go, you're demonizing snakes. I'm like, but just watch it to the end. Because yeah, the and that's is, what I it was. You guys did it so well. Like, you, you did, like, a bait and switch, and it was great, because I saw it in, like, the first 10 seconds. I was like, oh, okay. But then by the end, I was like, this is going to be freaking sick. Like, this is going to be awesome. And I got so excited about it, because I was like, man, they totally set it up to get you drawn in and make you, you know, make it think it's going to be one yeah, thing. Exactly. And then by the end, it's completely different, and it's not, you know, what you thought it was at all. Well, that's that's what we wanted. We want we wanted the person who's not fascinated by snakes and scared of them to to feed their fear, which keeps them watching, and then go. Huh, actually, snakes are good here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and by the time we say that, the credits are rolling, right? Like, right. <laughs> words are on the screen. Tricked you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, it it was tough. It was tough to tell the story, never demonize an animal. Mm-hmm. You know. Because that's not what we wanted. We want these animals to be amazing, but we want to draw you in from a different direction. Um, so it's definitely challenging, and shooting at night was really hard. Um, but I think at the end, like sitting down, walk, looking back now, I'm like, I feel like every episode did convey the wonder of nature mm-hmm. in a totally different Halloween motif. <laughs> well, that's the crazy thing is I'm watching it, and I'm like, you're you're watching this this mongoose in this creek chase a frog. And I'm like, how did they do that? Like, how is that thing just not bolting? Is it like a zoom? Like, you guys using like zooms? I don't, I don't know exactly what you can and can't get into, but I just, I'm, I'm like well, watching I, the whole I can't thing, and I'm like, too much, but I will say, there weren't zooms. <laughs> like, we can't just no, not zooms, but like zoom There's... lenses. Like, you guys were using, you guys were farther away oh, than, zooms. yeah, yeah, not zooms. <clears throat> oh, you know. There's there's a mix of uh, like I said we shoot it all in 8K so you can crop in quite a bit. Okay. So it, um, there's there's a mix of a lot of different things. I mean, and and to be honest too, I could tell you a spot right now that if you want to go see a bush baby up close in South Africa, you can go and see a bush baby up close only because mm-hmm. they're kind of used to people being around and they'll let you film them. And right. so it's it's a mix of knowing uh, you know the spots where wildlife interactions are more potential. You know, mm-hmm. where you can go. I mean, if you want to see a howler monkey, I know the tree stump in my property you need to sit on, and they'll jump over that tree stump daily. Like, that's the spot you go. Yeah. Um, so with that, it's patience, and it's having time, and it's having lots of Red Bull. And then the combination <laughs> of that, you end up with the show. No, and and to be honest, like... though, there's a, 
the amount of patience it probably takes just to get some of this stuff, you know, when you have like hyenas running around and it's like, do you guys just, are you, is it one of those things where, okay, this thing is now here that we've been looking for. Like everyone don't move. Like we're rolling, we're filming like, Oh dude. Yeah. Man, man versus lion. Uh, <laughs> we had to sit by this stinking lion for all day and all night. And one of my scary moments, so we're in the back of like what they call Bucky, which is like a truck that probably comes up like the back is maybe 36 inches high, right? Mm-hmm. It's a short little tiny truck. It's like a baby truck. It's a truck that just didn't eat enough healthy food when it was young. It's a baby truck. Yeah. I'm sitting in the back of this little tiny baby truck. Um, and we've been following this line all day for days and, and, and I'm exhausted. And at some point, I, I get socked in the arm, right? And I look over, I'm like, what the heck, dude? And they're like, your snoring is attracting the lion. I look up, <laughs> and I'm like, being stared at by a lion, because I'm like snoring, because I'm exhausted. And it's like, oh, that sounds like growling. I think I should jump up there and eat him. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, that was the classic, like, yeah, it's exhausting, and yeah, you don't want to let your guard down, because they're still animals. Yeah. Um, and and you're still the one thing that's out of place in this equation. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, like I said, a lot of stuff doesn't work out, too. Like, you only see the stuff that worked out. Right. You know, there's <laughs> there was days trying to film bears. We wanted bears in the show multiple locations and could never make it happen. You know, there was, there was a lot of sequences where it's like, okay, cool. We're going to have this really long cat sequence. No, we're not. <laughs> that's really short. Um, you know, there's a lot of animals we went to hoping to film that we didn't. And then other animals come along, like uh, the last episode. And by the way, these are all on Hulu and on Amazon too. If you want to catch the rest, Ooh, I do need to watch the rest of them because I I saw the 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 preview for the India episode and I saw an ornamental tarantula, mm-hmm. which is Pacillotheria, or some of my favorite tarantulas of all time to keep. I have a tattoo on my arm of a regalis. Oh, nice. So I saw that in the in one of the trailers for the India episode. Now I'm super super anxious to go and watch that. Well, I, I will say the funny thing about India is where we filmed it, like, oh, man, geckos were cannon fodder everywhere. Like, <laughs> They're ruining all the shots. Oh, no, don't. <laughs> well, yeah, and we're sitting here going, like, we don't want it to just be geckos, but that's all that keeps getting eaten, so I guess that's the story. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just start it out as, like, a gang of geckos, and it's, like, Lone Survivor by the yeah, end Yeah, we're like, of it, hey, yeah. no, 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 something else. Uh, okay, it's another gecko. Yeah, there we go. This is the story of the, the, the gecko genocide. We're just rolling with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a choice. Nature gives you what it gives you, and you've got to film it. Um, but, uh, yeah, the India episode, definitely everything went different than planned. Uh, but, you know, in the end, I think it's a cool episode. Like, we, we saw these little assassin bugs, and we weren't planning on filming those at all. We didn't even know those were there. We were leaning up against a tree, and I think it was Devin who's like, what in the world is this thing? it's like, well, that's cool. We'll film that now. Um, <laughs> You're in. <laughs> so what you don't see is like the four nights leading up to leaning on a tree going, oh, that's five minutes of TV, isn't it? Um, <laughs> that's really how it goes. I mean, you've got a plan, and then none of the animals respond to the call sheet. No one shows up to work right. animal-wise. And, you know, you look over and go, well, hi, frog. Do you want to be a star? Yeah. <laughs> Continue walking towards that 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 ornamental for like five minutes. Like yeah, exactly. Stop. <laughs> pause for like thirty seconds so we can get rolling, and then you can get eaten. But don't go do it right now. 
Yeah, I mean, to me, that in that episode, the the assassin bug was rad because it fit the theme so well. Like, it was like on the nose, Walking Dead. Here's a bug that covers itself in dead bugs as camouflage. Dude, they're gnarly like, things, man. They're they're those things are. Yeah, it's like cool. That's totally like Fear the Walking Dead covering yeah. yourself in blood. Like that is that is out of a horror movie. Um, and yeah, I mean that that one was. <laughs> she was tough <laughs> but you know that that said you know if they decide they want six more episodes i'm already ready to do it just pick different places and cross your fingers I, in the middle of it you never even know if you're like is this going to be the one gig that you let yourself down and you come back home and you don't have a show like yeah. i've never had that happen but there, there there is a very real tangible fear of if i don't get the footage i need and I have to directly go to the next country. Like we're flying from South Africa to Arabia, from Arabia to Indonesia, from Indonesia mm-hmm. to Costa Rica, from Costa Rica to India. Like you got to get on that plane to the next spot. And if you don't get enough stuff in that spot, yeah, there's no, there's no like, going oh, back. Boy. There's no redos. It's, it's get what you need and move on. You know? Exactly. And, and, and there <laughs> definitely is a fear of like, Oh man, like I've never, I've never let them down. But it was nice having a job. We better not now. <laughs> <laughs> then you get to the other pain. You're like, okay, we're good. We're and good. so, do you, do you, <laughs> do you guys go to these locations with a list of species you want to find and film, or is it just kind of a like this is what we've come across? Is there like any? Yeah, particular... no. We so, I mean, let me be perfectly honest. I've got books on a lot of places. I've read a portion of them, and for the rest of it it's a matter of knowing people who are experts there. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I could, I could show you uh, around parts of Costa Rica. Well, parts of South Africa. Well, and Southern California outside of that, I need people there that can do that there. Right. So it's talking to the people contacts on the ground that know it far better than I can hope to know it in a short amount of time. And pretty see. Mm-hmm. And, you know, their entire job is to, know that there, you know, or they're, they're a biologist or they're a researcher. And that really is the unsung heroes to the people that are like, yeah, if you go here at this time, you should be able to see this, you know, and okay, cool. Yeah, and then just learning to adjust on the fly. So we do, we do have a rough plan based on our contacts on the ground, but it, of course it doesn't always go to plan. I mean, the entire, the Indonesia episode, um, and I'm actually going to publish a paper on this. We, uh, we had a couple caves to look at, and the and the we want to film bats coming out of the cave, right? That's what we went out to see, mm-hmm. and because uh, we wanted that to be the open, and we went to two caves. There weren't that many bats coming out, and then like the the Filipino kids got stuck in that cave, and there's flooding there. So then it's like, okay, well, let's not get stuck in a cave, because um, the, these caves had a dip, and they actually were capable of flooding in the same fashion. And there was like one more cave. It was far away. We're like, let's go see it. We have to get this cave shot. This is important. Like, this is the open. Uh, we go to this cave. We're all exhausted. Devin's like, I'm going to go check it out. I'm like, yeah, sure. We're going to sit in the car. Uh, he hikes out to it, and there's monitor lizards in the cave eating bats falling off the ceiling. What? <laughs> and we're like, what? How many? Six, seven? Just in the cave? Yeah, no, they're just eating bats. <laughs> Okay, get the camera on some tripods. But then what blew us away further was they continued to eat at night. And here you have nocturnal predation of Rana Salvatore at night, which other than trash scavenging 
isn't a recorded isn't, yeah, thing. Yeah, isn't like normal. They're, they're supposed to be diurnal. Right. Like these are totally nocturnal. Like they were continuing to feed into the dark hours. Um, so that's one of the examples where, you know, that wasn't a part of the plan. But when you see monitor lizards eating bats off the ceiling and there's snakes trying to eat bats and everything's trying to eat the bats, you just give the bats as much time as they need because that's going to be, you know, a good two acts of TV. <laughs> mm-hmm. And when you see that kind of stuff, like say, you know, you were in Indonesia when you saw that, and then you go somewhere else that has a similar scenario where you have caves and stuff like that, are you now looking for something similar with other species doing something like that? Or is that just... I wish I wish we could, but you kind of have to reinvent the wheel every episode. You don't want repeating stuff. Well, yeah, but I mean, as like, far as like you during your travels, like when you're out there, you're like, okay, we're going to be going to a cave. I know there's other monitor species, you know, for example, this could be anything else doing something that isn't typically normal are you looking for that sort of behavior while you're just out and about to notice somewhat. if it's a yeah <clears throat> yeah i mean somewhat it depends what it is i can't say like i've specifically kept an eye out for monitors in caves since then um but i have kept an eye out for monitors at night and on bali i saw one cruising down a canal at night and i'm like well hmm make a note of that because that seems to be like i think their their nocturnal activity does vary more than we realized mm-hmm. um so to an extent, I think when I travel for fun, it's totally different than when I travel for work. Definitely. When I when it's for work, there's no days off. There's very little sleep time, and you're solely focused on making a television show. Like you're not really field herping, other than looking for stuff to film. Mm-hmm. And I've got a I've got a boatload of lifers I've never photographed, like properly. Um, which is a bummer. Like now I want to go back and you know Malaysian crate. I don't have a good photo of Malaysian crate. I've got like a cell phone snapshot, um, coral snakes in, in Costa Rica. Saw a bunch. I don't actually have a real photo. I haven't had time to do that. Um, you know, your, your keelbacks, the, the poisonous venomous yeah, snake, yeah. really cool lifer. I've got no photos of those. I was filming. So, I, I, you know, when I'm traveling for fun, I spend more time focusing on the photography and, and the field herping. And then when I'm traveling for work, I'm looking for stuff to film and filming. Um, so it's kind of two totally different approaches to travel. That makes sense. Speaking of travel, I should mention, I, I think I can mention it. If not, Brent and Chris can yell at me. Um, <laughs> I checked my email after this, make sure I'm not getting yelled at. Uh, but uh, so for Beyond the Glass, I had a uh, Get Hooked custom-sized hook. Because mm-hmm. I've, ne- I've never had a collapsing hook work well for me. The old Midwest screw-off ones didn't work. I like a hook that I can flip with, and any of them that pull apart like the tongs, yeah. eventually you pull them in half, right? Like, right. They, they just don't work. For me, they do for some people, and I, I keep a pretty good sized bag. So I measure the cross section of my bag, and it's like, okay, I've got 32 inches from caddy corner to caddy corner that I can get a snake hook. Make me that. Um, they did. I used that on Beyond the Glass season one. Mm-hmm. Uh, season two will probably be a new hook because between that and then getting several different hooks in the field over Dead by Dawn, I've kind of been field testing and designing my own what I want to look at as a world traveler hook. Like if I'm dealing with just a lapids, I want a really veed hook. Yeah. But if I'm dealing with, you know, vipers or bows, I want a little more of a U hook. Mm-hmm. So um, what I've been working with them is to create a world traveler. hook. If you're the kind of person who's traveling a lot or wants to travel a lot and you only want to have to bring one piece of gear. Cause for me, bringing much more than that when I'm traveling. Yeah. For work is yeah. Just, it's definitely a pain. I can't. Right. Exactly. Like if I want one, what's that one hook so pretty soon i'll be sharing that around but um, i've got that in the hands of some people and i think i think we're getting close to have what what i'd consider like the go anywhere hook 
you know, it can flip, it can, it can viper, it can elap it. Uh, the, the handle isn't round. It's flat on one side. So it doesn't roll in your hand for some trickier stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got some ridges. It's got like a pointed tip rather than a slope tip. So it doesn't, you can kind of approach any angle. Lots, lots of little things, but anyways, that's awesome, I just want to throw that out there. Cause I haven't said that to anyone yet. And we're talking travel and that's kind of my, something I've been excited about is to get a traveler hook. Cause I, I like the fact that world travel herping is becoming a thing. Definitely. Like, yeah. Without a doubt. Five, six years ago, like there weren't a lot of people that did it. And for, you know, the other side was, I, you know, there weren't very many of us traveling a lot of cohorting spots. So you would post a photo of something from South Africa and everyone would lose their mind and you get like 500 likes because wow, you went there. And now today it's like, meh, there's 40 of those on herping the globe or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it was a lot cooler back then as being one of the 10, you know, 20, 30 year old age range actually doing this. But it's, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm stoked that so many people are world travel, herp, world travel herping. I really think, uh, that's a, a really cool trend. Yeah. I, I need to get out and do more traveling period. I've been to the Bahamas and that's it. I feel so behind the curve. Did you find which island did you go to in the Bahamas? Nassau. Okay. Uh, 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 let's see. I've been to Bimini. I've been to Nassau. I've been to a few of them. I've always been for Shark Week though, so I've never actually been there on my own time. Mm-hmm. Jeff, I don't, you know Jeff Lem? Yeah. Yeah. He he does those Cuban trips that sound really cool. He was on another podcast recently uh, with my buddy Joe, and uh, he was talking about those Cuban trips he does. Those would be pretty neat to go on. Yeah, actually, my, my good friends, uh, Eric and Aaron Briggs, um, I think that's come up early in conversation, sounds like. <laughs> um, but they're good friends of ours. They're also scuba divers, so they're kind of like our, our dive uh, couple friends. Uh, they just did the Cuba trip with Lem and had a blast. You know, it's a... Uh, I need to go to Cuba. I've got no excuse. I've got distantly extended family there, so <laughs> it's on my list. Is that is that... How many... Like, what countries haven't you been to? You know, that's, that's the funny thing. I hate to admit this because it's way less cool. Um, I've been to a handful of country a crap ton of times. Um, so, like, I've been to South Africa, I think, eight times. Mm-hmm. But I've never been to Tanzania. You know, I've only been to South Africa and Swaziland and, like, bordering Mozambique and, like, barely across the border in Namibia, but not, like, checked in. Like, I've been to... Cambodia twice for a long period. So I, I go to the, the same spots multiple times for a long periods because once you establish contacts there for work, you're kind of going to keep going back there. So last year, yeah. technically I went to Indonesia three times in the same year. I went to Costa Rica three times in the same year. So mm-hmm. I've been to 16 or 17 countries, but all of them a bunch of times. That still counts. Like I said, it's more than me. I've barely, well, no, no, barely it, gone it, to other know, states in the I, I country. Think, <laughs> like, if I never repeated countries, I probably would be, you know, close to a third of the countries. Mm-hmm. But, you know, once you get a really good contact in Indonesia, well, guess where you're going back yeah. and back and back. And, you know, Costa Rica, I don't even really count anymore because it's probably there, so I have to go there all the time. But it's still, it counts. Um, but, like, you know... I don't count it as like repeat travel because now it's it's part of my life. Yeah. But like South Africa, I'd love to go to Namibia, or I'd love to go to Tanzania, or I'd love to go somewhere else down there. And not to you know not to take it for granted, but if I'm filming, I'm going to go to where I know. I'm going to go to where I know the people. Yeah. So even though I do travel a lot, 
I don't get the, the greatest variety because I go back to the, the places where I know the people can make the TV happen, mm-hmm. you know, uh, India. I've been to Southern India twice. If I put all the weeks together, I've spent a month and a half in Southern India. So that'd be another place I'd, uh, I'd like to go check out. They got a lot of neat stuff. out Yeah. There. It's, it, it, I would say it's tough. Like there's so many places that people should go. I put Indonesia high. Uh, the highest number of herps I've ever found anywhere in the wild is Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Um, so Indonesia is high for me. Costa Rica's high for just megafauna. South Africa is really high for easy herping on a layover. You, you know, the United Arab Emirates, there are a lot of flights layover there. <laughs> you can find a lot of stuff in one night there. Um, you could probably find all the herps there. In a couple yeah. Of I think I was watching, you did a live stream of one of the, what was it? Uh, Sarah stays or something like that. You were doing a live stream on Instagram, I think, or Facebook. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was. <laughs> I was, that was watching kind of that I was, like, one. I, I was like, I've got cell phone signal here, and I <laughs> know I'll find stuff because there's so much stuff out here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was actually the first time I've ever done a live stream. And man, I mean, no, it was a sand boa. You found a. It was a. You were looking for sand boas. I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, sand dune boas out there, uh, Jayakare. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> those are awesome but yeah uh, <laughs> that's the funny thing about there you could be in sand dunes with great herps within cell signal uh there's not too many places that have that combination uh, i mean uae is a trip it's it's super safe it's super expensive um uh, but the herping there is actually really good not far from the city hmm. which is kind of surprising because you see it and there's like nothing out there no, I mean, and there's not a huge diversity. I mean, you'll see like 12 species of geckos and three species of venomous snakes and, you know, sand boa and a monitor lizard neuromastix. And then, you know, then a couple of colubrids and a couple of odds and ends. You're, you've pretty much seen everything. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's a cool city to get a bite to eat, see some stuff and get back on the plane. Yeah. So, I mean, a... if you ever have a long way over there, it's worth it to leave the airport. Yeah. It's, uh, what was, with all the episodes you guys did a Dead by Dawn, what was your favorite spot of all of them? Like, what was your favorite location? Um, well, I mean, I did buy property in Costa Rica while I was there, so, um, that... Outside of Costa Rica, <laughs> what was your favorite one? Um, man, that's tough. Um... I guess, first of all, mm, where, where, all the episodes take place where? You have an Africa episode, Indo episode... Yeah, we have Indonesia, Southern Africa, uh, Arabian Peninsula, so all around kind of Oman, UAE area. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, Southern U.S., uh, Louisiana area, um, Alabama, Mississippi, kind of all that zone. Um, what else? So there missing one, Costa Rica, already said that. India. Yep. So yeah, India, Southern Africa, Arabia, Indonesia. Costa Rica, Southern U.S. That's all six. There you go. <laughs> well, it must have been nice to be in Louisiana. It's got to be. It's always um, got to be convenient you know, when you're when you're kind of in your own element, I guess. Uh, yes and no. I mean, in South Africa, everyone speaks English. I just um, mean in terms of like it's you know it's your home country. Like you're you're comfortable there. You know you're you're not. I mean, I would say I that, that Louisiana is as different from L.A. as South Africa is from L.A. That I believe. 
Especially with all those like, people that speak Creole and you can't understand a word they say. I mean, it, it's a different culture. I've spent a lot of time in, in that area of Louisiana. So does Louisiana. Um, I may or may not have worked on a very popular show in Louisiana for the pilot part of the first season. Um, so I had an apartment there for a while. So I'm really familiar with that region. Um, and because the massive success that show was, uh, and as an employee of the company that made that show, I was sent down there for like 11 of 12 months of one year. So, you know, it, it was definitely somewhere very, very familiar with, mm-hmm. um, because, because of duck calls. Um, <laughs> but I mean, does that like so, make it easier though, that you're there? Like, it's not like you're an Indo, like you're, you're, like I said, you're familiar with it. Like you're, I've oh, been yeah. here before. Yeah, no, I know definitely. what's going on. That makes the whole process a little simpler. Cause you know what to look for. You know what you're doing there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, <clears throat> I've, like I said, I've spent a lot of time in Louisiana. I've probably herped Indonesia equals uh, Louisiana because I haven't spent that much time herping there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's obvious conveniences. I can go to Best Buy and buy batteries in, in, yeah. in, in <laughs> Louisiana. Um, honestly, that wasn't a planned episode either. We, we were going to do a South America episode, and, and some permit stuff just got a little mixed up. So we last second changed to U.S. South, and it turned out to be what looks like everyone's favorite episode in terms of, like, I think the ratings that I saw was mm-hmm. the highest one. So, I mean, you know, people like home, people like familiar. Um, you know, for me as a filmmaker, I like to show pe- stuff people have never seen. So that was the challenge in Louisiana. You know, I didn't want I didn't want anything to be too familiar. That's hard yeah, to make it feel yeah, alien definitely. or otherworldly or, you know, it, it's, it's, it's hard to make it fit the rest of the series. But we did a lot with crayfish, which I don't think a lot of people really consider as, mm-hmm. uh, you know, something to film. Um, we had water scorpions, which are really cool. We we tried to get some stuff from Mutt's Mix. It didn't quite work out, so they kind of got, you know, they're in there, but it's B-roll. Um, oftentimes, if you see an animal for 10 seconds, it means we try to get something to work, and I didn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that was a – but um, – you know, snapping turtles were a lot of fun to film. Some just, you know, but it, it, it had its own set of challenges, basically. Like, how do we make stuff that's super familiar to people different? Yeah. You know, most people have never seen a pangolin, so we show a pangolin in the Indonesian episode, and that's the first time seeing one, and that's in and of itself amazing. Or, you know, they don't, they don't know what a, a loris is, mm-hmm. so just showing them that is mind-blowing. But, you know, a fox... Everyone knows what that is. How do we make it different? Yeah. Well, I'm anxious to watch them all, man. I think my roommate might have Hulu. I might have to steal his... Uh, his, his... <laughs> like I said, I think it's on like iTunes and Amazon and Hulu. And yeah. It's, it's He's got one now. of those Rokus, so I think he, he probably has Hulu and he probably has an account that I can, I can snag it on and watch because I'm really anxious to see the rest of them. Like I said, I like the Africa episode a lot. Is it the... Um, speaking of which, the dude who narrates, is that the dude who played Candyman? No, but everyone thinks that. Um, the dude that plays Candyman was a guy we were talking about for The Voice originally, <laughs> Yeah, before we had really any talks. Um, we also jokingly said we should get Jigsaw from Saw. Oh, that would have been <laughs> so names. cool. <laughs> I know. Like, it's, it's funny. My wife's like, I don't like horror, but she makes me watch all the Saw movies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Tobin like, Bell would have had a little bit. His voice would have been freaking perfect for it, man. Oh, I know. It would have been fun. Um, but we ended up with uh, James Bayless, uh, who, what's fun is it's a new voice. People aren't super familiar with him. He's a Canadian actor, and if you saw the Netflix series Altered Carbon, um, he's in that. I'm looking him up right now. Yeah, 
in Altered Carbon, he's one of the AIs, like Poe, the uh, artificial intelligence hotel, like mm-hmm. goes to poker night, and the, the Rasta-looking guy at poker night, that's that's James Bayless. And, uh, you know, it's fun to work with someone that's super into the project and had fun with it. Uh, you know, that's, that's in the end the goal, is if you're into it, then you're going to put your best foot forward. Yeah. I, that's, I mean, that's the first thing I thought when I heard it. I was like, oh, they got the dude from Candyman, but... <laughs> they sound exactly you know, alike. We talked about though. Yeah, I mean, we did. We did have a partnership with the Skybound Robert Kirkman's company, who was uh, Walking Dead. Yeah. Um. So, you know, there was a brief second where he said, "What about Negan?" Like there was, there was oh. a bunch of names that come up in the process of this. <laughs> Either him or Daryl. Norman Reedus right? would have been good for it too, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what Bayless did though was a unique enough voice where everyone's like, "Whoa." Okay, this is something different. It definitely which, it fits you know, the yeah it it fits the 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 overall theme like his voice matches yeah. what you're seeing so perfectly that it was it was a good choice. He was the uh, he was the right one. Which is always good because once you pick him, you can't really go back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going. Now, over. what's funny though is now the international trailers are coming out, and I've got to find it the Turkish version mm-hmm. of the trailer for Dead by Dawn. It sounds so metal. Because they put like this echo on it, and it's already kind of a weird sounding language. Like <laughs> I swear, they're just they're they're going to summon demons on accident, making the next Dead by Dawn trailer in Turkey. Like it's like uh, that's that's how you call it the Book of the Dead. You guys got to stop that. Yeah, and don't have any pentagrams <laughs> or Ouija boards out while you're listening to that. <laughs> Seriously, it's so metal. Like that is awesome. I want to watch this show in Turkish. Now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm actually off tomorrow, so I might actually binge it all tomorrow, maybe tonight. Man, that. <laughs> Let me know which ones you like the best. I'm I mean, like I said, me, I'm so anxious to see the rest of them, man. I only got to watch the one episode, and I'm just I'm bummed. I want to see them all. Yeah, for me, it's it, one of the fun things is putting an animal on screen that hasn't ever been on screen. Mm-hmm. Like in the Africa episode, um, the Mahalia. You know, you don't. Most people outside of you know avid herb keepers have never heard of an African file snake. Um, oh, I thought that was so it, cool that you guys did. I forgot that that was in there. Like I saw that, and I was like, that's awesome. Like no one. You know, like like yeah. you said, no one outside the hobby is going to know what that is. But I recognized it instantly. I was like, "That's and that's the the cool thing about the show too is you guys tied all of the quote unquote characters together into you know one thing. Like you have yeah, the, the and, otter and, that was going after the frog, but then there's something coming after the otter, or you know, the snakes chasing yeah, we the snake. Yeah, narrative. Yeah, like you know, D- Disney Nature does that, and that's all in the editing. Obviously, um, not to spoil it, but you know, we're shooting this thing for over a month. And we make it seem like one night, you know, yeah. like that's not necessarily the order. Any of it happened in, at all. But if you could link it narratively, yeah. then you get better storytelling. And if it feels can... like you're just experiencing something rather than being told about something. Suspend disbelief. Um, but, you know, the Mahalia is a classic example of I have worked in Mahalia at, back home for years. So when I'm making a list of what I'd like to do, obviously our own preferences come out, you mm-hmm. know. Like, uh, like, okay, if we could do this, that would be awesome. Um, and yeah, sometimes it takes a little more time, but there is that kind of that selfish and, and why not? You're, you're the one making the show. Right. You're the one out there. You're, you're the one looking for it. <laughs> put stuff into it that you're interested in. Yeah. You know what I mean, like if we had, if we had an opportunity to film Boyga, that would have been in there for sure. If there mm-hmm. was a chance to put yellow bellied sea snakes in it, don't doubt for one second, we would have put those in there. Um, you know, and, and Saibon, I, I love snail eaters. Having a scene in the Costa Rica one with that, I was like, yeah, when do you ever see Nebulatus feeding? I haven't seen it. 
let's let's film that. Let's let's bring something new to TV that people don't think about. Definitely. You know, or the wandering spiders that eat amphibians. Like yeah. that's freaky stuff. Let's let's see it. Highlight the uh, the novel. All right. So, final question: Out of all the places you've gone, out of all your travels, what's the sketchiest thing that's happened to you? Oh shoot. Huh. That is tough to narrow down. You ever been like kidnapped by Somali pirates or anything like that? <clears throat> no, I've had a friend kidnapped. I've never been kidnapped. Um, and I would say I always feel like the world isn't as dangerous a place as people think it is. But then in hindsight, people be like, what in the world? Are you serious? So I guess sometimes it is. Um, I mean, it doesn't even have to I mean, be necessarily like, with people, but if you were, you know, out and yeah, about. Yeah, I know. There's been incidental things. Like, there was one time we were filming Lions, and we got a walkie call, get in the truck, and there's four of us. So we, then they, they're like, get in the truck. We run in the truck, slam on the door, and the second we slam a door, a, a lion pops out from a bush maybe a couple of feet from us, big male lion. Um, we didn't realize it was there. Um, so we easily could have gotten chowed by that. Um but it was fine, so it didn't feel sketchy. Um, but it definitely, in, in hindsight, was. And it was my, my first trip to Cambodia. Um, felt very, very sketchy. I hired a driver to get to this people's lodge that was closer to the forest, because Siem Reap has no forest. I had nighttime permission to be in the temple complex, which was awesome. A friend of mine uh, set that up, and we did like an informal survey we wrote up of the, the reptile species and the invertebrate species in, in the temple complex. Mm-hmm. But once I was out, I still wanted to go herping. I was still in Cambodia. Um, I'd saved Tonalai Sap to the end, so I already did the temples. Tonalai Sap to the end, let's go to the forest and then between it's up by Vietnam. Okay. So we hired a driver. He bought this 4 by like the other day, and just like every 4 by driver that has no idea how to drive a 4 by he gets it stuck in the mud and almost tips it. We have to get rope to keep it from tipping. Well, we're supposed to be there by about 2 and we left at like five. Now the sun's going down. We've been there all day and we're not even close, right? Like we're at halfway there and it's now nighttime. We've got rope holding this guy's car from going over. And then all of a sudden the area on the horizon's on fire. And it's like, why, why are they burning stuff? And they go, well, that's poachers. They set everything on fire to draw the animals out to kill them. I thought guns were illegal here. They are. Gunshots start going off. So now we have fire in all directions and gunshots in all directions. Jesus. And, and our, our car's stuck. We can't go anywhere. And I, I, I tell the driver guy, I was like, look, dude, we paid you to get to this destination. We're three people without guns, surrounded by people with guns, and, and kind of surrounded by fire now. So I'm not going to get shot or burned alive because you got your car stuck. We need to work this out. And obviously he knows I'm upset. You know, he, we were upset. <laughs> so he summons a guy in a motorbike, just random dude going by. He says some stuff quickly in Kamai. I don't know any Kamai. I know Barong is basically a cracker. You know, it's not the nicest thing to call someone. Um, and the guy points in Barong. Yes, yes, yes. We, we, we need a transportation. You're, you're calling us racial slurs. Yes, we need, we need transportation. So they slap my wife on the back of this guy's moped, and he rides off from the sunset. <laughs> I don't really see the guy's in front of his face, right? You're like, just, what just, the take, hell? Takes off. And it dawned to me, if I never see her again... I can't even describe the look of her assailant. Yeah. Like, like, he had a sports jersey on and he drove away with her. You mean you were in Cambodia and you just put your wife in the back of yeah. the motorcycle and they drove off? Well, there were guns and fire, but you just let her drive off. 
Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so now I'm sitting here going, I don't want to have to explain this to her, any of her family members. Uh, what happened? Uh, she just disappeared. This is bad. This is really bad. So I, I go to my driver. I'm like, I need to be on the next moped. He goes, okay, I'll wait. But no, no, no. We need to catch up to that guy. Like, this is not okay. So another one pulls up. He negotiates something really quick. I jump on the, the back of the guy's moped. He pulls up and stops at his house. Now, he's got a couple wives. That's normal for some people there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's Indonesia is the same way. If you're right. uh, is, uh, Muslim, you can have multiple wives. If you're yep, Christian, yep. you can't. It's cultural. So anyways, he's walking up to his, his wives and doing the whole Mr. Rogers neighborhood thing, right? He's changing his shirt. He's changing his shoes. He's whistling. It's a beautiful <laughs> day in the neighborhood. Except I can no longer see the taillights of the motorbike that my wife's on. So... I grab his bike and I'm ready. Like, I'm going to go with your bike. And the lady yells at me something, but the only part I understand is barong. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This cat's going to steal your bike. Like, you keep calling me that, but I need to catch up to her. Um, so finally he comes back and I'm like, faster, faster, faster. I'll, I'll give you money. And he understood that. So he, he tries to go faster, but it's a rutted out road. But he gets about 40 miles per hour. He hits a bump and go flying off the motorbike. What? Uh, just just airborne. My camera and my lens were around my neck. That's now totaled and destroyed. That's why you always carry two camera bodies with you, because otherwise the rest of the trip would have been a bummer. But that's fine. I throw that in my backpack. Camera lens destroyed. It was like a 6D and a 300 lens. It wasn't cheap, but I didn't care at this point. I was like, just keep going. We get back on the motorbike. We, we finally catch up to where they dropped my wife off. She is surrounded by dudes in a, you know, your classic rice hat. It was like a scene out of a Kung Fu movie. Yeah. Like, whoa, this is really weird. What's going on here? <laughs> they were all Thai. So my driver couldn't speak to them. And I'm like, okay, you speak Khmer, they speak Thai, I speak hello, I'm from America. Uh, what's going on? She has a flashlight over her head and her souvenir hat's on the floor stumps flat. Apparently she figured she needed to snatch it for some reason, I'm not sure. And the flashlight was all she had to protect herself because she's circled by these guys. I walk up and they, they fan out really quick. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not the biggest dude in the world, so something weird is going on here. Turns out they surrounded her because they're like, this stupid white girl standing out in the middle of rural Cambodia. She's going to get kidnapped in a heartbeat. Like, <laughs> this is, if you want to get sold to another country for indecent reasons, this is how you get sold to another country for indecent reasons. Um, so they're actually trying to protect her. And we, we found out that this was a French uh, farming company. I think I can't remember what it was they were farming there. I think it was like rubber or something, but it mm-hmm. was a French farm, and they hired Thai workers to work the fields, and the workers were trying to look out for her. So once I found her, we were able to get a phone. We called the people who are from Oregon, oddly enough, um, the state of Oregon, uh, to bring a tractor down to get us the rest of the way to where we were headed. Um, but there was a good 45 minutes where it wasn't actually anything going wrong, but the fact that I lost her, in the middle of nowhere where I didn't speak the language definitely definitely makes the list <laughs> yeah not a, not a great feeling I'm sure <laughs> so anyways yeah there's, there's one <laughs> see that's that's I don't I want to travel but man it's that kind of stuff where it's like if things go wrong like it's gonna go wrong you know unless but you know what here's the part I left out here's here's the silver lining so these guys were super cool and they were, and you know, they were trying to protect her, and they were super nice guys. They spoke a little English after a little bit, warming up. They bought warm beer, right? And you know what I took away from this experience? 
is that if you have a 12-pack of warm beer and a block of solid ice and you spin the ice on the beer, it'll be ice cold in 30 seconds. They taught me how to field quick, cool beer. So, oh. silver lining. <laughs> like spin it, like spin the bottle, spin it? No, so you, you get a block of ice and you get a beer. And uh-huh. it works really only on metal cans, right? You could also do it with just crushed ice, but it's easier for the block. And you just spin it on its horizontal axis. So like as if you're making the label rotate from front to back, front to back. Oh, uh, okay. So huh. it's kind of like as if it was a tire, right? Yeah. Uh, so not yeah. in circles, but actually. Um, and you do that and it starts to melt the ice. And within about 30 seconds, it's ice cold. And you can chill a whole 12 pack in no time. Quicker than sticking in the freezer ever would be. And now I use that everywhere I go. Hmm. So yes, my wife could have been kidnapped, which would have been horrible. But I did get a new trick to cooling beer. So there you go, travel everyone. <laughs> I learned an it. important lesson in how to quickly refrigerate <laughs> beer. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's a terrible note to end on. Wow, that just makes me sound. <laughs> <a trick. laughs> hey, everyone's alive. That's all that matters. No one's missing. Exactly. You're not on the back of a milk no carton missing. in Cambodia. No it's one's missing good. fingers and toes. They weren't missing before. That's right. It's not like hostile or something. You're not getting sold yeah, to right. be tortured. <laughs> but uh, well, cool. I'm not sure if that was the answer you're looking for. Yeah, but there you go. that that fits the bill, and we're at about an hour thirty six now. So, if there's anything else you'd like to add, uh, anything else you want to touch on? I, you know, I, I wish I had a a, a one spot to send everyone. Because like I mentioned, I'm media director for uh, IHS. Mm-hmm. That's going to be in Belize. That's awesome. If you've never been to, to IHS, a lot of the context that's made in reptiles and, and where I am today has to do with IHS. Everyone should go to that. Um, HCI, obviously, Herpetological Conservation International, uh, follow that. That's all the conservation stuff I do. And then for Zilla, that's on Zilla's page, and Dead by Dawn, that's on my page. They so don't have one spot, but if you guys follow me on the Book of Faces or Instagram, I try to scatter it all because like, everything's kind of all over the place. But, yep. uh, you know, it's, it's like the hook thing. Like, if I'm willing to put my name on it, it's because I really believe in it. It's not, yeah, I, I don't tend to plug stuff that I'm not all about. I'm mm-hmm. either all about it or not at all. So Cool. Well, uh, I know... Dead by Dawn, all the episodes have aired now, but do they? Do you know if there's like a set schedule for them rerunning those, like re-airing? Um, I don't know what the re-air schedule is after the last episode. I had the old re-air schedule. I know that um, for the rest of the world, it's coming out March 4th. I think Germany comes out a little later, and the UK comes out in like April. We have a good bit of listeners in the UK, so that'll be good information for them. Yeah, I think it comes out in April in the UK. There's like a there's like a stunt. Well, they call it a stunt week. It just means like a special week, kind of like Shark Week is considered a stunt week. Mm-hmm. I think there's like a monster week or something in April that it's going to be a part of. Um, I'm not sure the exact date, but UK gets it later than the rest of Europe. Like okay. everywhere else, Holland and all of them, it's March 4th. As far as re-airs go, I don't know. Like I said, it is on Hulu. It's on iTunes. It's on Amazon. You can buy the whole season now. Um, and as far as more episodes, we don't know yet. Like. As soon as I know and I'm allowed to say something, obviously. There will be an announcement. I'll say something. Yes. But we, we don't know yet. It, it, it hasn't finished its worldwide run. Like, it's it's going to be in 140 countries when it's all said and done. Nice. That's impressive. So, 
Yeah, they they uh, are very good at dest- distribution at Geo. It's one of the nice things about natural history. You just have to re-narrate it, so mm-hmm. it gets spread far and wide. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, I really appreciate you doing this sort of sort of last minute. I know we'd uh, talked to you a couple weeks ago about doing it, and with Southeast Carpet Fest yeah, no and everything problem. else, you know, it, it worked out. Mm. Yeah, it's my schedule. <clears throat> I guess it's the one thing that doesn't get said about production is I've left the country on five hours' notice. Uh, so when people are like, what are you doing next May? I'm like, I don't know what yeah. I'm going to be doing <laughs> next week. I, I keep a passport in my bag that carries my laptop at all times. And that's pretty much, you know, you live by be ready to go. Yep. All right, man. Well, I appreciate so, it. Glad the schedule went up. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks so much. All right. Take it easy. You too. Have a good one. Bye.